This morning we do have a great opportunity. Mitch Glazer is with us here from Chosen People Ministries. Uh, Mitch and his wife Zahava have been doing uh, evangelism and church planting for uh, over 30 years, and they've been associated with Grace, uh, I think, almost all that time. Uh, I've seen this particular presentation now seven times because I saw it last night, and I tell you, every time I love it. it. It never fails to intrigue me because I love to see the beauty of the imagery that God has created for us uh, to understand his purposes in the world. So it's really a special treat for us to have Mitch here. I want you to join with me in welcoming Mitch. Shalom, y'all. It's good to be back at Grace. Uh, it's been a few years, and so I, I realized, you know, that when I, when Zahav and I first came on support at, at Grace Bible Church, we were, we were 12 years old. And, and so, uh, prodigies. And so, uh, you know, when, when, when you come up and see me, uh, remember, if you don't have a name tag... Remind me, it's getting, that, it's getting to that age, you know. Uh, but it's great to be back at, at Grace. It's just good to be out of Brooklyn anytime, honestly. Uh, but it's a special joy to be able to share something that means so much to me. There's no season of the year when I feel as complete as during Passover, because as a, a Messianic Jew, it all comes together at Passover in the most extraordinary way. And I'd like you to share that joy with me. Uh, this morning as we see Messiah in the Passover. How many of you have ever been to a real live, genuine Passover Seder? Just raise your hand. All right, overwhelming. The, uh, <laughs> uh, so this morning, I just want to let you know that this will not be a real, genuine Passover Seder. It wouldn't be at church. It wouldn't even be at synagogue. It would be at the home. And instead of being in pews or chairs, I guess, it would be, we would all be at tables. And we wouldn't just have a religious ceremony, we'd have the best meal of the Jewish year. It's kind of like the Jewish Thanksgiving. I mean, all your favorites, and uh, I mean, I, I know you're going to love this stuff. I mean, chicken soup with matzo balls, you like that? Yeah, that's good. And then gefilte fish, all right, getting worse. And then my all-time favorite, chopped liver with onions, Barbecue chopped liver with onions? <laughs> All right. So we're going to skip the meal, and we're just going to go right to the ceremony and kind of highlight certain elements that might be especially meaningful. Now, Passover is really two festivals, according to Leviticus 23. It's the Feast of Passover, that's the one day, and then the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is actually seven days. And so we combine them all together, we call it Passover, and uh, it's an eight-day festival, and on the first two nights, we have what we call a seder, S-E-D-E-R. It's a Hebrew word that means order, and that's that big event. So it's just the main seders are on the first two nights. You can have off-night seders, it's allowed. But the primary, uh, primary evenings are the, are the two nights. So next Wednesday night will be the first seder. And I'm speaking in College Station in Houston, I am flying home tomorrow to be home from the Seder, flying back on Thursday to continue speaking the weekend in Houston. <laughs> Just to give you an idea, you don't miss the family Seder. <laughs> Especially me, I'm leading it. <laughs> and, so, uh, and so Passover is a very, very precious, very important time of the year for family. 
And so uh, you probably know more about the Passover Seder than you would imagine. You've all seen that painting or tapestry by Da Vinci of the Last Supper, right? You've seen that? Anybody been to Milan and see it on the wall? Yes, yeah, it's, it's dramatic. It's huge, isn't it? Really big. And uh, I was impressed with the feet, weren't you? Yeah, the feet of the disciples are something else. Anyway, so here's my question. What were they eating for dinner at the Last Supper? Just call it out. What, red wine? It's a rather young voice for the red wine. Okay. No comment. What else? What was, what was the main dish? Fish. We have brilliant art. I mean, it's a university town, you know. Fish, of course, it was fish. And the reason it was fish is they were fishermen. Yeah. Again, that's how they got the fish, probably. No, because, because Da Vinci felt that Jesus and the disciples were good Catholics and ate fish on Friday night. It's true. You notice those big fluffy loaves of white bread? Yeah, Jewish people do not eat fluffy loaves of white bread. We eat matzah unleavened bread. It's called the bread of affliction, and if you ate it for seven nights, you would know why. (laughs) Eat it with peanut butter, it could be certain death. Actually, I have a real problem with uh, Passover. My birthday, I will not tell you when it is exactly, but it almost always falls out during Passover. And so I have the blessing of having an unleavened birthday cake almost every year. You haven't lived. (laughs) So da Vinci was a a great artist, but da Vinci forgot that Jesus was Jewish. And sometimes the church forgets that Jesus is Jewish. We have to understand that our faith grew in Jewish soil. In order to fully understand the Savior, we need to understand his Jewish side. And I believe that when we understand the New Testament in particular, when we see the New Testament through Jewish eyes, it comes alive in a whole new way. And so we're going to demonstrate that this morning, but it's just the tip of the iceberg. So during Passover, we read a book called the Haggadah. And the Haggadah simply means the telling. And the Haggadah is a beautifully uh, artistic book. It's filled with Bible narrative and uh, questions and answers and games and quizzes and songs. And it's just a, a, quite an event. And it guides you through using the symbols. And every one of these symbols tell us something about the Passover story. And basically, this is a Bible study come to life. I mean, what were the rabbis going to do? They didn't have embedded video in their PowerPoint. And so... This is a Bible study in technicolor, so it involves all the senses, the eyes and the ears and the, the mouth and, uh, and the nose. And so by getting involved with all of these symbols, the Haggadah leads us through the telling of the Passover story. And again, I'm just going to be able to highlight this for you. A traditional Passover Seder in my home, because I was raised more Orthodox in the Holy Land, in Brooklyn, you know that. <laughs> And my, our seders were usually about four and a half, five hours. Now, we've reoriented the schedule today. First service is two and a half hours. Second service, two and a half hours. No, we're just going to be able to highlight it. And so we're going to go over some of these various symbols, particularly as they help us understand the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord's Supper 
is the fulfillment of Passover. And so uh, we will look at that more carefully. So would you please take out your Haggadahs, if you would. Do you, have, you don't have them? Boy, I guess we forgot them. Tell you what, why don't you open up to Luke 22 then? In Luke chapter 22, we have Jesus and the disciples sitting down to the Passover Seder. And the nice thing about being Jewish is that things don't change that much. <laughs> Tradition. I won't sing the whole song. <laughs> and so Jesus really observed Passover much the same way I have and, and still do. And so in Luke 22, we actually have the regular Passover Seder order of service. It doesn't have everything in here, but it has some of the real highlights. So you look at verse 1, it kind of marks it and pegs it. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching. And so you understand that it it is Passover. In verses 7 through 13, Jesus sends Peter and John to prepare the Passover in an upper room. They're to follow a man carrying a pitcher of water to the upper room. That was a unique sign because it was a woman's job in those days. So they would know which, which person to follow. So they followed the man to the upper room and they prepared the Passover. The word prepare is really akin to the word kosher. And because what they were supposed to do was to sort of make the upper room kosher. And the way you make it kosher for Passover is you get rid of all the leaven. Because leaven is a symbol of sin. And so we want to purify the room. Now, Jesus did it. My family did it. And uh, we'll do it again. And that means that you have to get rid of all the bagels. And uh, I tasted a, a, a College Station bagel this morning. <laughs> was uh, interesting. So you get... <laughs> so you... It's the water, they say. <laughs> so you get rid of all the bagels, all the white bread, all the rye bread. You get rid of all the cake mix, all the cereals. We mix it with spring cleaning because Cheerios get in a lot of places, particularly if you have young children. So... So you get rid of all the leaven, and you can do it one of two ways. Number one, you can gather it up, throw it in the garbage, and you're done. Or, as we did in my home often, you gather up all the leaven products, you put it in a box, and you sell it to a Gentile. (laughs) You can do it. You know, just have a good contract, usually. Either way, we cleanse the home. Dad leaves from work, comes home, and... uh, needs to really feel like he had part of all of this cleaning up, you know? And so mom leaves a token piece of leaven, maybe a crumb of toast, somewhere in the house. My mom always left it on top of the refrigerator. And so dad comes home with a wooden spoon and sometimes a feather and searches for that piece of leaven. And um, he finds that piece of leaven and sweeps it onto the spoon, wraps it, tosses it in the garbage, wipes the sweat off his brow, raises his hands, pronounces the house clean, and then we sit down to eat the Passover meal that mom spent three days cooking. (laughs) It is good being a Jewish male. At least it was. Things are changing. So, (laughs) during Passover, dad wears a symbolic uh, robe. It's really only worn once, except in Jerusalem and in my neighborhood in Brooklyn. (laughs) Uh, where there are many, many Orthodox Jewish people. And we wear this robe on Passover, but sometimes 
Orthodox Jews will wear this on the Day of Atonement because it's white, and white is a symbol of purity. And that night, grandpa or dad, whoever is leading the Passover Seder, is a priest in his home leading his family to God. In Judaism, sometimes the table is viewed as a replacement for the altar in the synagogue. It's quite an interesting concept. And so uh, every meal is a sacred event, (laughs) particularly on the Sabbath and holidays. And so grandpa or dad becomes a priest. It's also a symbol of royalty. That night, he's a king in his home, which we enjoy. It's the only night of the year. (laughs) Then he wears a hat called a miter. Again, it's supposed to remind us of our uh, priesthood. I know some of you want a hat like this, don't you? (laughs) You'll have to come to Brooklyn. Now, during Passover, we take four cups of old grape juice. (laughs) Every cup has its own name. Every cup has a unique meaning to it. Actually, uh, the wine we drink at Passover is actually only a couple of weeks old, I think, if if you taste it. You'll actually know if you tasted whether or not Jesus drank wine or grape juice. Just take a little sip of Manischewitz and you'll know it's actually cough medicine. (laughs) Now, every cup has its own name. The first cup is called the cup of blessing. I'm going to chant the prayer for the cup, and then I'm going to teach you a Hebrew response. And I'm going to appoint you as my Levitical choir this morning. So it goes like this. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech Alam Bore Perihagafen. Now I'm going to ask you to join me in a Hebrew response. You ready? It's, it's not easy. Amen. Okay, try that with me. Ready? Amen. That was nice. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who created the fruit of the vine. Now, we also light the candles. It's usually a woman's job. I will do it this morning. And we say a, a prayer. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kitshanu B'mitzvotav V'tzivanu Al-Lahav Lekner Shal Pesach Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us by his commandments and commanded us to light the lights of Passover. With the home purified, the candles lit, we now have the presence of God, the Shekinah glory, symbolized by the lit candles, and we're able to worship God. Verse 14 of Luke 22. And when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God, And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. That is the first cup, the cup of blessing. Now, I don't want you to think that that's actually the last cup. It's actually all four cups, because there are four. And so he would not drink of the fruit of the vine until all the Passover cups had been drunk. Now, cup number two is my favorite cup in the Passover. It's called the cup of plagues. 
and this is really fun. So it goes like this, because remember, we're telling the story. And so about this time, the kids are starting to kind of doze off, and this kind of wakes them up at this stage. And so we do the 10 plagues, and it's high drama, and so we do it with a lot of enthusiasm. So it goes like this. We dip our pinky into the wine and drop a wine onto the pl- on the plate, and we name one of the 10 plagues. So it goes like this. Blood, frogs. Oh, you're dying to do it, I can tell. <laughs> oh, you want, okay, lift your cup. It's your imaginary cup. It's in your imaginary pew in front of you. Okay, take out your right pinky. All right, try it with me. Ready? Dip, drop, dip. Okay, some of you are str- right hand, right pinky, okay? <laughs> All right, now, I want you to dip and drop and say the plague with enthusiasm after me. All right? We'll do it all together, really loud. Okay, let's bring the house down. Okay. We'll scare the neighbors. Blood. Blood. Frogs. Frogs. Vermin. Mixture. Mixture. Boils. Boils. Hell. Hell. Locusts. Gnats. Yuck! You can lick your pinky. Ooh, ooh! I forgot. If the rabbis say if you lick your pinky, you get all the plagues. I apologize. Every Jewish child learns at a young age that when we disobey God and harden our hearts towards God, He brings judgment on us. You see, God in the Old Testament and the New Testament has always been just. God has always been holy. There's no change between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's the same God, isn't it? And the God in the, in the I'm using the Hebrew word, in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, God always judges sin. He, it's in his nature. But also, God is always willing to forgive sin because he's merciful. The only question is, who's going to bear the punishment? Because he can't forgive without sin being punished. He never changes. The only question is, who bears the punishment? You or someone else? Now, during Passover, we have a plate set up. And on the plate, we have all the items set to my right, which are not hors d'oeuvres. These are symbols. Parsley is a symbol of life because it's a spring festival, Passover. And uh, so we take parsley, the symbol of life. We dip it in salt water, the symbol of tears, because life in the Egyptian bondage was bathed in tears. And the rabbis want all of us to feel as if we were there in Egypt. And so we take the parsley dipped in salt water and we eat it. Delicious. And everybody eats it. Everybody participates, from the youngest to the oldest. The next item we take is called charoset. Try that. Okay. Some, some people jumped in front of you. I say. Okay, charoset. You got it. It's essentially, let me give you the recipe. This is my grandmother's recipe from the old country, Brooklyn. 
chopped apples, chopped walnuts, some honey, some cinnamon, stir in some Manischewitz grape wine, kosher for Passover, toss in a dash of imagination, and you've got it. Can you see it? No, of course not. Nobody can. It's to remind us of the mortar the Jewish people used to build the bricks in Egypt. And it's a very odd mixture to remember that kind of an experience because this is very sweet and building the uh, pyramids uh, was not a pleasant experience for the Jewish people. And so the kids asked the question of Grandpa, why do we remember such a bitter experience with a sweet mixture? Grandpa answers, when redemption is near, even the bitterness of slavery is sweet. Now tell me that's not a great perspective. Boy, I tell you, there's so much to learn from Judaism. I mean, that is a biblical perspective, isn't it? If you've ever heard one. We believe that Yeshua, Jesus, is coming soon, don't we? Whether you believe it or not, he is. So Jesus is coming soon. The Messiah is coming soon. And because he is, no matter what we're going through, an economic crisis, a personal crisis, a political crisis, it doesn't matter. We can stay sweet. Bitterness is not something that we have to endure or experience. We can experience the sweetness of life, knowing that our Redeemer comes. And so here's what I need. I need a sweet young person to come and taste the charoset. Now, how many uh, young people do we have here between the ages of 8 and 15? Just raise your hands. Okay, good selection of 8 to 15-year-olds. Any of you speak fluent Hebrew? It would just make it a lot easier. Just <laughs> Any of you? No. Um, any, any of you young people, can you say shalom? Not even shalom, huh? Okay, yeah. All right, I need uh, a couple of guys and a couple of girls, so come on up. Come on, first, f- first come, first serve. Come on, everybody's starving. I need one more girl, one more girl. No other girls? All right, somebody draft one. Hannah. Thank you. Attaway. Appreciate your voluntary spirit. Okay. All right. Stand on this. Oh, another guy. Come on over. All right. Stand here. Your name is? Ramsey. Ramsey? And Andrew. Was it Ramsey or Ramses? Ramsey. Okay. <laughs> that would be a real setup for the story, wouldn't it? He was an Egyptian king. Okay. And your name? Megan. Megan. And your name? What is it? Andrew. Okay. Okay. That's a lot of names. Okay, here we go. Everybody here like matzah? Good. Okay, and how do you feel about chopped apples? Yeah, good. Okay. Oh, it is good, believe me. You're going to like this. Yeah, we make enough for the whole week in our home. Okay, at the count of three, eat. One, two, three, in the mouth. I'm going to take you with me everywhere. Okay, that was good? Yeah, good? 
All right, second dipping is the bitter herb. A little bit of horseradish. Now, we, we go by size, okay? If you're big, you get... You'll know who the preachers are going to be, Brian. Okay, hold it. Don't eat it. We're all going to eat at the same time. You want a little more than usual, right? Yeah, that's good. Okay, and don't eat it yet. The girls get less. <laughs> now it's good to be a girl, huh? Okay, yeah, all right. Okay, there you go. Ramsey, you can handle a lot, can't you? Let me just give you a really... You get two pieces of matzo. All right, at the count of three, eat. One, two, three, in the mouth. Mmm, is that good? <laughs> How's that? Thank you. Church is insured. Now, you might ask whether or not we do that to our own children. Absolutely. Do we do it simply because our parents did it to us? Yes. The rabbis... He's gone. The rabbis tell us that you can't appreciate the sweetness of redemption without appreciating the bitterness of slavery. And that's why we do it. And it's a miserable experience. There's no doubt about it. Especially if you had my grandmother's horseradish. She made it special. (laughs) The hotter, the better. And so we're reminded of the bitterness of slavery. You know, when I come to this season of the year, uh, I just, I love it. I love the Passover season. I love Resurrection Day. I just love it because it helps me to focus on what the Lord's done for me in his death, and in his resurrection, as predicted wonderfully in the passage that Brian read in Isaiah 53, predicts so explicitly his death for our sin and his resurrection. And, you know, there are a lot of people who are seemingly happy uh, before they come to know Jesus as their Messiah. And, uh, you know, it would be easier for us as believers to believe that everybody who's not a believer is absolutely miserable. That would make it easy. And I'm not sure everybody was or is, but I know I was. My life was bitter. Uh, I was a a nice Jewish boy who was uh, raised in a really, really wonderful Jewish home. And then uh, I became a uh, something of a prodigal son. And I left all the wonderful, good things that my family had done for me. And I dropped out of college, Jewish mother's nightmare. 
And I went all the way to San Francisco. And in San Francisco, I didn't live the best kind of a life. And I got involved with drugs, and I got involved with selling drugs. And I figured it out after a number of years. After doing all those drugs, I didn't even like drugs. And to this day, I can't figure out why I did it. And I was miserable. And then my two best friends, both young Jewish kids, raised in good Jewish homes, both of them came to know Yeshua, Jesus, as their Messiah. And I was only 18 when when that happened to them. But because I was raised in a more orthodox Jewish home, I decided that it was my role in life to convince them that they were wrong. (laughs) And so I went and got myself an English Old Testament. My Hebrew wasn't that bad, but it wasn't that good. And I began reading the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, to find evidence to disprove the fact that Jesus was the Messiah so I could rescue my friends. And the more I read, the more I came, became interested. Because I began seeing the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in a whole new way. I began understanding that the reason I loved my heroes, Abraham and David and, and uh, Moses, I mean, I, these were the heroes I grew up with. What made these men great was their relationship with a great God. And I never put that together before. And so I wanted that relationship with God, especially because my life was pretty empty and pretty miserable. And so... Uh, I prayed and asked God to show me the truth. And that night, in a phone booth in the middle of the Redwood Forest, I found a New Testament and stole it. (laughs) And I began reading that New Testament, and I began to realize, and this is going to shock you, but I began to realize something I didn't know at all. Jesus was Jewish. I mean, I didn't know that. In fact, I was so naive, I kept looking, because Jews like holidays, you know, so I kept looking to see where he celebrated Christmas or Easter. It's not there. Do you know that? Jesus never celebrated Christmas, I promise you. But he did celebrate Pesach, Passover. He did celebrate Sukkot, Tabernacles. And I realized that my battle was not with the God of the Gentiles, or with the quote-unquote church that had persecuted Jewish people for centuries. But actually, it seems that many of them missed the boat because Jesus was obviously Jewish. And if you really believe in him, how can you despise his people? So I began to realize that what I knew about Christianity was wrong and what Jesus was saying about himself was right. And my life got a whole lot sweeter because one day I finally said, I believe it. Come into my life. And I realized that he died for my sins. And my life was transformed. And so I love Passover because it reminds me of what my life was like. Because, you know, I've been a believer for so long, I forget. Because the Lord's been so good to me. But my life has become sweet because 
Jesus as my Messiah. And I hope that he's sweet to you this morning. The egg was added to the Seder plate. It's hard-boiled, I hope. But the egg was added to the Seder plate after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, which means Jesus never had the egg on his Seder table. It It reminds us of the missing daily sacrifices in the temple. Chickens lay eggs every day. I understand. I'm in Brooklyn. I don't have any idea. But chickens lay eggs every day. Sacrifices were offered in the temple every day. We roast the egg like we roasted the sacrifices. We crack it open, dip it in salt water, and eat it to remind us of the fact that even though we've been redeemed from Egypt, we're not fully redeemed because we're still waiting for the day God sends the Messiah, regathers the Jewish people, brings us back to the land of Israel, rebuilds the temple, and restores the sacrifices. That's the Jewish hope for the Messiah. A lot of Jewish people don't believe it, but a lot of Jewish people, especially in my neighborhood, do believe it. And so the egg reminds us that our redemption is incomplete. You know, even in Judaism, there's a a saying that the world was created for the Messiah. Jewish people understand that the Messiah is going to come. We understand that history is going someplace. What Jewish people, for the most part, And what I didn't understand, for the most part, was that the Messiah had come once in fulfillment of prophecy, and that he was coming again. Now, that leads us to the shank bone of the lamb. There are two major types of Jewish people. Major. A lot of others, but two major types. There are the Sephardic Jews and the Ashkenazic Jews. Sephardic Jews are North African. Sfad is Spain in Hebrew. And so there are Sephardic Jews. You know, a lot of Christians go to Israel and say, nobody looks Jewish. Um, There are a lot of different Jewish looks. And so the Sephardic Jews might be darker and so on. The Ashkenazic Jews are like me. That's why I have blue eyes. I'm an Ashkenazic Jew. Some Polish person got involved somewhere. I don't know what happened. (laughs) As far as I know, everybody's always been Jewish. And so... uh, so there are fair-skinned and darker-skinned. That's a generalization. The Sephardic Jews will eat lamb at Passover. Ashkenazic Jews will not. If I ever cooked a lamb or made a lamb for Passover, my family would walk out. Why? Because on Passover, you sacrifice the lamb, then the priests ate the lamb, and the family ate the lamb that was sacrificed. Because we don't have a temple or a place to offer sacrifices, we don't eat lamb. That's the logic. Instead, Grandpa raises the shank bone of the lamb, and he tells the story of Exodus 12, about how God would pass through the land and slay the firstborn male of any home that was not protected by the blood. Now, how many firstborn males do we have here today? Just raise your hand. Okay. Yeah, you would have been dead, just so you know. (laughs) Just giving you perspective. And so God told the Israelites, take a spotless, unblemished, one-year-old lamb, kill it, pour its blood in a basin with hyssop leaves, take the blood of the lamb, put it on the lentil and the doorposts of the house. And then God would pass through the land of Egypt, but pass over every home that was protected by the blood of that innocent, perfect lamb. Is it any wonder that in Isaiah chapter 53, the prophet, in speaking of the Messiah to come, describes him as a lamb that would be led to his slaughter, as a sheep silent before his shearers. 
Is it any wonder that when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to the waters of the Jordan, he cried out, Behold, do you remember? The Lamb of who, what? Takes away the sin of the world. You see, Yeshua, his Hebrew name, Jesus is the Lamb of God. And when a man or a woman, Jew or a Gentile, boy or girl, when by faith we apply the blood of the sacrifice of Yeshua, Jesus, to the doorposts of our hearts, then the wrath of God passes over us. And we pass from death into life. You see, that's why Rabbi Saul, the Apostle Paul, cried out, even Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. Later, Paul adds, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When a man or a woman today or yesterday or any day in the future, when we, by faith, accept the sacrifice of Yeshua, Jesus, as our substitute, remember, somebody had to bear the punishment for sin God sent his only son to bear the punishment for your sin and for mine. And therefore, at Calvary, our sins were buried. And so if you say yes to Yeshua, you walk right into the blessing of forgiveness. And if you've never said yes to him, this morning's a good day to do it. Wouldn't it be great to accept Yeshua Jesus today, and know that your sins are forgiven, and then have your first resurrection Easter day as a believer. That would be a wonderful experience. So if you've never embraced him as your Messiah, I hope that you'll do it. Now, we're going to take a quick break, uh, because now we have the meal. And instead of the meal, we're going to uh, involve ourselves in what we call the tradition of the tearing of the brochure. So... Look in, your, look in your worship folder. You'll find the brochure. Everybody have one, I hope. Fold it along the perforation. At the count of three in Hebrew, we're all going to rip at the same time to show our unity. So here we go. Count after me in Hebrew. Echad. Listen, friends. You better... Look, look. You better learn Hebrew now, because if you think that Jesus is coming back and he's going to speak English, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> Get started. Early. Okay. Echad. Shtayim. Shalosh. It's like a wave. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Now... Keep the large part. You've got a picture of of, uh, my family. Remember to pray for us. Uh, Grace has been praying for us for so many years. Don't stop praying. My daughters are not married yet. Okay, the lawyer is 25, seriously, and the future doctor is 22. Okay, so resumes afterwards. Please fill out this slip. Take out a pencil or a pen, would you? Every month, the entire Chosen People staff, 200 of us in 12 countries from Israel to Argentina to England to uh, southern Florida, (laughs) we're all going to be coming to your home for dinner once a month. So 
fill this out. Let us know when you will be having pork chops. And give us an alternative date. Okay, so fill this out. On the reverse side, listen, particularly young adults at Grace. Every summer, we send dozens of young adults to Israel on short-term ministry trips. How many of you would like to do a short-term ministry trip in Israel? Okay. I didn't say we bring you back, by the way. I just... Sometimes we lose a few. But... So... On the reverse side, check the box. Tell me about short-term opportunities with chosen people. We also have a one-week program every summer in New York City. How exotic is that? Okay? Share the gospel and eat corned beef sandwiches. So come. So check that box. Also, if any of you are interested in Jewish ministry and you would like to train, we actually have a full-blown seminary program. And some of you have been praying for that because I've been very involved in that. And that's in New York City. So check that box about the Feinberg Center. So please fill this out. And if we can have some men at the door when we leave, because people always tend to forget. If some men could be at the door, just give it to people as you walk out. And that would be great. We also have a book table. Uh, I want to highly recommend the book, To the Jew First, The Case for Jewish Evangelism and Scripture and History. You'll love it. So make sure that you look at the book table. This is uh, a great book and uh, uh, edited by uh, Daryl Bach at Dallas Seminary and me. Uh, But I really didn't do that much work on it. So there you go. And then how to introduce your Jewish friends to the Messiah. So all those are back there. And we're even making available, we have to ship it to you, but we're selling some Seder plates. Some of you might want to do this in your own home. And I know it's not as easy to get a Seder plate in College Station. Uh, as, as it is in New York. So make sure you pay attention to that. This is a matzotash. It has three compartments. One, two, three. In each compartment, we have a piece of matzah. The rabbis tell us it refers to Echad Yisrael, the unity of Israel. God, top layer, the priests, middle layer, and the people. God, the priests who stand between sinful man and holy God, and the people. Grandpa takes the matzotash, takes the middle piece of matzah, breaks it, puts part of it back in the pouch, takes the other piece, wraps it in a napkin. We play a game with the kids, which we will not play this morning. He hides it, and at the end of the meal, the kids go looking for the matzah, And the lucky kid who finds it gives it back to grandpa who has to pay for it. Some kids are taking credit cards. (laughs) And then grandpa takes the matzah, breaks off a piece, and gives it to everybody at the table. The middle piece of matzah, the piece of the priest, broken, wrapped, hidden, and brought back. Yeshua knew exactly what he was doing. In verse 19, we read, And when he had taken some bread, matzah, and given thanks, he broke it. This is how bread breaks. He gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
Jesus was following the Seder. He took the middle piece of matzah because he would be priest and sacrifice. He broke it because he would be broken in death. He wrapped it because he would be wrapped for burial. He hid it because he would be placed in the tomb and he brought it back because he would rise from the dead. And he distributed it to everybody who reached out a hand of faith to believe. That, my dear brothers and sisters, is our communion bread. Not any piece of bread, the middle piece of matzah, reminding us of our unleavened, sinless Seder who was broken in death for our sin. We raise the third cup after the meal. We know it's the third cup. The cup of redemption. In the ancient Exodus, it reminds us of the shed blood of the Lamb that sets the Jewish people free. Jesus pours new meaning into the cup. We read in verse 20, In the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. No longer was Jesus speaking about the shed blood of a little animal, a lamb. He was speaking about his own blood. No longer was he speaking about bondage to Egypt, but bondage to sin and death. And good news, brothers and sisters, no longer was he telling us that this was for Jews alone. But the good news is that redemption, freedom from sin and death, forgiveness, is available to all Jews and Gentiles who embrace what God did through Yeshua at Calvary. And so this is our third cup. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Borei Peri HaGafen Amen Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who created the fruit of the vine. The fourth cup is our response to redemption. It's called the Praise the Lord cup, the Hallelujah cup. And so we take the fourth cup in order to praise God for his blessings. The fifth cup just kind of sits there. We invite Elijah to come and sit down and drink the wine and eat the meal. And I don't know why, he just never comes. Even with my grandmother's cooking. We pour the cup out and we begin the thousand upon thousand year wait once again because Malachi said that Elijah would come before the Messiah and Jesus said, if you have ears to hear and eyes to see, John is Elijah. He performed the ministry of preparation that that Elijah was supposed to perform. And so Jewish people will pour the wine out and begin waiting and waiting I'll tell you what I think Jewish people are actually waiting for, though. See, it's my theory that the reason why many Jewish people do not believe in Jesus is because they've never heard about him. I know this is America, but it's true. Maybe Jewish people are waiting patiently for y'all, for me. Romans 11, 11, Paul writes, they did not stumble so as to fall, may it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Then he adds that beautiful little line to make them jealous. I believe it's God's will that the Gentiles do for the Jewish people what the Jewish people did for the Gentiles. It's what we call the returning the favor 
God wants Gentiles to show the love of Yeshua to Jewish people in such a winsome and attractive way that Jewish people become jealous and want the Jewish Savior who lives in your heart. My prayer, dear brothers and sisters at Grace, is that God might use you powerfully as with hearts filled with love, you share the good news of the Lamb of God with your Jewish friends, family, and neighbors. Let's pray. Abba Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you are the one who came and died for us. We thank you that through your shed blood, through your bearing the punishment, we can be saved. And Lord, I do pray in the quietness of the moment, Lord, that you might really work in the hearts of anybody here who has never come to know you as their personal Savior. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you might lovingly touch hearts and persuade hearts that today might be the day of salvation for some. And so, Lord, we thank you for your goodness. And we thank you, Lord, that your arms are open to us and that we can come to you because you've come for us. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. If you uh, filled out one of those cards, please uh, just drop it. There'll be uh, Matt Crawley standing in the back. Matt can grab that card from you. Uh, also, if some questions were raised by Mitch's presentation, you'd like to have a little bit more time to talk through how you could make uh, Jesus your Messiah, the one who takes away your sins, please come up and talk afterwards. Uh, Mitch, before you go, would you uh, bless us? Let's stand. The Aaronic Benediction from number six, chanted in Hebrew, and then I'll translate it in English. And God bless you and have a happy Resurrection Day. Bow with me. Yivarecha Adonai v'yishmarecha Yai Adonai panavalecha v'kunecha Yisa Adonai panavalecha V'yasem lecha Shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the face of the Lord shine upon you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, our Messiah, go and serve the Lord. Amen.